This is Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a series-based podcast focusing on surgical and medical education and featuring expert interviews and practice-changing discussion. Our host is Dr. Kara King, a member of the Cleveland Clinic's section of minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. Dr. King is also the director of benign gynecologic surgery and associate program director of the Cleveland Clinic's MIGS Fellowship. This podcast is a collaboration between MD Edge and the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons. We'll be right back after this message. This podcast is made possible by Boston Scientific. To learn more about Boston Scientific, please visit bostonscientific.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the featured clinicians and do not necessarily reflect the views of Boston Scientific. Welcome to part two of our interview with Dr. Ted Lee. In this episode, we will dive into the importance of critical video review, the variations within endometriosis surgery, and characteristics that make up an expert surgeon. So during this entire pathway of the story that you've unfolded and led us into your window today, there's been ups and there's been downs. Can you tell me about what your favorite failure has been during this time? Oh, I, I don't know if I have a favorite failure. It's <laughs> um, a hard question. I think a lot of times uh, it's like, okay, you know, early on in my learning curve, you know, if there's a nodule near the bowel or near the ureter, I didn't go after because at that time on my training or my learning curve, I wasn't so quite comfortable with it. And then I didn't do it, you know. I didn't do as good of a job as I could have or, or because I didn't possess the skill back then, right? Right. But you're being safe at that time, right? Right. And then later on, I can do those cases better and do a cleaner job with it. So, like... You know, then it's some. It's okay for you not to push yourself to the level that you're not comfortable with. In time, you'll learn, and then you, you get better. Uh, and then to, not to rush yourself too much. And I think I can say that that's you know that's at least is, if you want to say that's kind of my failure. It's things that I could have done better, and at that time I didn't have the skill. Then I kind of learn from that. And then for the next patient, or in the same patients years later, now I can do this. So I go ahead and finish the job and do a better job. So it's, it's all part of the learning curve. And don't be discouraged if you're not perfect. Do you watch your own videos? Uh, yeah, I, I did. When you are ready for live surgeries, when it's hard for you to edit your own video, because <laughs> it's so amazing. <laughs> no, no, no it's, it's harder. Then you have to pick and to pick and choose. Yeah. You know, you kind of get mesmerized by some of the dissections and so on. And then you just, well, actually, I don't really need this part in the video. So you have to, you're going to have to pick and choose. Yeah. So if, you, if your surgery can look like edit video, and then, then you may be ready for live surgery. Then you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite line when I when I worked with you was you know, we always we record every single case and I still do but you always be like push record you never know when you're gonna make a miracle <laughs> I loved it because <laughs> you never know what's gonna happen right so always well, I, push record I, I, I call it masterpiece you know, oh like, shoot masterpiece yeah. you're right you're yeah right. why not because you know it's like a lot of times what we do is in in some ways like craftsmanship right and then uh, you know you get better and then it's you know, you want to make sure that you're efficient and so on. And so sometimes too is like, 
the surgery may be good from a technical standpoint, but the audio or the video quality is horrible. So then, and then when you have good camera and good lens and good surgery all record all happening at the same time, and that's like, oh, that's great, you know. Um, so that is, you know, that's something that, that, you know, we want to see. And the other times it was good cases that I, I we did, and I said, well, I forgot to record it. And I said, well, too bad, you know. And that's why it's important to record it every case. And if you don't like it, you can just kind of dump it, you know, out of memory. Right. That's a, it's a good lesson. I still do it to every, every case I record from you. It's a, great, it's a great tip. So endometriosis has become a really large part of your practice. And I'm curious, what intrigues you about this disease? And how did you find this disease as your passion? You know, it's a challenge, you know. It's like you, you just constantly, you're going to have patients that it's something different than that you have done before. And, you know, obviously you begin to have sort of your bread and butter of, you know, rectal vaginal endometriosis, you know, which, you you know, you do discoid resections or if it's too big, you, you know, and my general surgeon colleague do a segmental resections. That becomes sort of very routine and bread and butter. But there are always patients who have, and the mutuals in places that is continue that challenges you. It just it's kind of never ending challenges. It just keep on presenting itself in a different way, and and then you kind of get better, and you begin to do some of the more rare presentations, and it just never ends, right? Um, and so it's always very interesting. Just it's like a puzzle, right? It's never the same thing twice, right? Right. It's like a puzzle. Even if it's, you know, similar to the last case I have done, but there's all little variations in there. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely kind of keep it interesting. But I, I think it, it's always, and unfortunately, you know, even the best surgeons, it, it's such a frustrating too, because even you have to feel like you've done the best surgery and patient may still have pain. Right. And it's extremely frustrating, you know, and then you, you, did ex, you know very good dissections, and you remove as complete of excision, uh, you know some of the deep disease that sometimes infiltrated into you know the sacral nerve roots, you know to the inguinal canal and all the weird places, you know you do all the things and then you know most of the time, fortunately most of the time patients do well in especially a patient with deep infiltrated endometriosis, but there are times when patients continue to have pain, especially in patients who have not as much disease. Uh, and and then, then you remove it and say, you know, this is a pretty good excision for the amount of disease the patient has. Yeah. Uh, and they still have pain. So it can be very, very frustrating uh, as well. And humbling, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious. I'm thinking about uh, match week, right? We The, the match is on Wednesday, right? Uh, yes. And I'm thinking about your long fellowship history and how many fellows you have put out and they're at these amazing institutions. And I'm just curious, and it just leads my mind to think, you must know how to pick out these fellows to your program. And so I'm curious, what, what do you think is the most important characteristic of a surgeon? Like, what are you looking for in a surgeon? Or what do you think gives somebody an edge over somebody else? You know, it's not always easier right, through interviews. And I think we have just been very, very lucky you know, to pick out some good fellows over the years. And I think just pure, pure luck in many ways. Uh, we, you know, we haven't had any crazy fellows or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's, it's good to know. Glad to hear that. You know, and so it's been, we have been very, very fortunate 
that everybody, you know, they may not be the best when they first came to us, but we make the best of them when they leave. You know, uh, best version of what they can be. Really, the most difficult part is really the hand-eye coordination. Some people, the hand skills. Some people come to them a little bit later than others, but eventually everybody gets it. You know, everybody's sort of their progression in their in their surgical skills varies from person to person. Uh, but ultimately, everybody's going to end up in a very very similar place. I think the mind, the eyes, the judgment. You know how to make your next move. It's something that's very important and overlooked. Uh, it's how you think. You know how how to determine if somebody's a good surgeon or not, right? So sometimes we get too mesmerized by some crafty moves that that you make, and that looks so cool. You know, has a very very uh, high wow factor, right? But that's not what make a good surgeon. A good surgeon is be able to kind of see through things, and be able to decipher with all the distortions. Be able to figure out what the next move is, you know, like little movement that you make, and that allow you to see little tissue planes. That is something that's you know I don't know how to teach that. You know I can verbalize it as much as I can. I think eventually with experience people pick that up themselves. But I think that's kind of distinguish somebody who is, you know, you know, very very good to somebody who is just, you know, good but not at the elite level, right? And it's just be able to see through things. And the hand-eye coordination, I think, is is actually a, a basic thing that most people should acquire, right? Uh, and then and then be able to apply that. How to apply your skills is actually harder to teach. Then learning the skills. You're so right. And watching you like dive into a retroperitoneal dissection that's completely fibrosed and just watching it just like unfold into all the spaces that you know should be there. Like it's such subtle moves that you're doing, like finding those spaces. And you so we say, talk to the tissue, create space. Like these words like echo in my brain in all of these hard cases. But you're right, teaching that is really hard. And I think video review, that's where video review really comes in, where I just, I've, I've watched like 9 billion of your videos and just watching it again and again and again and getting the subtleties that, of what you're looking for. I think video review comes in, it's a, it's a key part of how you teach that. It's, it, and also watching videos, and I, I, I think I told you this and told many fellows this as well, it's just how to kind of watch video critically. Exactly. It's it's a skill that that you 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 know sometimes you you watch it and you kind of learn nothing from it, um, so it's it's very very important to kind of have like an objective is why I want to learn from watching this video and then sort of subtle movement. Most people do surgery without really paying attention to how the instrumentation's interaction with the tissues that you are working with, and you have to make certain moves to gain information. And a lot of people don't do those moves and they just cut. They don't really get information as to what's behind certain structures. They don't interrogate the tissues to get that information uh, and then find the spaces, find the weakness, uh, and be able to come up with a solution for the problem. A lot of times you go in with a case, you have a preset ideas as to, oh, okay, this is how this case is going to go. But you may not go that way. Uh, you can have to make adjustment along the way. Be flexible, right? 
and be creative. You've taught me that as well. Is creativity in the OR, I think, is so important. It's something that you it's hard to teach that as well. Like having that brain of, of being flexible and creative. And um, like you've taught me the importance of doing things the same way every time, but not, if that makes sense. Like same right. setup. Well, I mean, like, you need to have a foundation. You need right. to have a foundation before you become creative. And exactly. that's very, very true in like, you know, in many sort of Asian craftsmanship that trying to be a sushi chef. You know, they would make you sure that you, that you wipe the floor first before you do anything, right? They won't even teach you how to cut. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have to learn humility first. Right. And then so that's how, you know, and then sort of build on, on foundations. And that's what you need to do. Uh, and most people want to skip ahead and, just go, you know, go much higher than they, they are capable of. Uh, so, yeah, it's important to have foundation before you become creative. Yeah. And and I love watching videos with a purpose. I love how you said that. It's so true. Like just watching a video to watch a video is it's almost a waste of your time, right? Like you need to have a purpose and watch very specific things to get the most out of it. So I feel so lucky to have trained under you. Oh, you're so kind. No, I'm serious. You are one person who's truly, you've changed my life. And I'm just so fortunate to have you. So thank you. Uh, The other thing I mentioned too is, is like always keep on learning too. Okay, um, and I, you know, I think there are many good surgeons in the world, and I know, you know, I can still learn from them. Um, you know, be flexible in your thinking, and don't think you are the best. You know, there are so many people you can learn from, uh, not only from the masters throughout the world, but also from the people you work with. And 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 then you know, you get inspiration from little things, and then so just yeah, just be humble and keep on learning because. That's how you get better. And then that's kind of the things that I like to do is I don't, I, you know, my techniques evolve over the years, right? And so I keep on changing. I change my technique and I say, well, this wasn't as good. I want to make it better. So there are fellows who learn from me, you know, when I was doing certain things a certain way. And, you know, a few years later, I was doing something different. And so it's always, always continue to, to evolve and change and not be satisfied with what you had done before. I love that. Constantly yearn for better and appreciate new sets of eyes. Like sometimes the anesthesiologist will look over the drape and be like, hey, have you thought about X, Y, Z? I'm like, hey, nice. Like you're part of the case. A new, a, new, a, new, uh, a new way of looking at it. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, just keep your mind open and don't always, you know, things out. Don't, I mean, tradition is good, but always be able, you know, say let's do something different, you know, and then always challenge, you know. It's like, well, you know, they are maybe something better. We, we don't want to be stuck in the, in the same thinking process because things change. Be open-minded. Um, people change. You know, somebody who you thought were bad surgeons before, they may be better, you know, down the road. You know, don't, 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 don't kind of label them and then not change that. I think people do change. People obviously can change from, you know, worse to better, but they can also become worse over time too. So yeah, so always keep your mind open and and, and and not label people. I think it's important. Absolutely. And instruments can come and go as well, right? Like six months before I graduated fellowship, the Morse litter went away. And we like based my entire life on getting big things out of small holes. So now what? So yeah, being flexible, I think is important. Yeah, and then we were, we were like, you know, making our homemade in-bag mosillation, mechanical mosillation. We were making... 
different methods to do that, and that was quite fun, very creative to do that. Yeah, painful at times, but fun. But now we do everything by you know manual mosellation by hand now in a bag. But we were doing mechanical mosellation within a bag. Well, we have the the bag that's insulated with air, and the specimens within the bag itself, and we are mosellating through that. Right. That was that was fun. We everyone had to think so critically on how to do it. Every case was a little bit different, tweaking it, tweaking it, tweaking yeah, and the, it. The, and the bag, the bag was pushing all the bar out of the way, so it was very yeah. Really safe. Yeah, it was like a hefty bag in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it yeah, great. so it was it was it was definitely, you know, uh, kind of evolving. And obviously, when UPMC banned the entire mechanical morselator, then we just couldn't do that anymore because I thought that was actually a very viable option to do a contained morselation within a bag, in a very inexpensive way to do it. Then I got taken away. It's true. Yeah. So you are upcoming president of AAGL. Right. 2020? Uh, 2021. 2021. So you're in the midst of planning 2020's meeting. Is that right? Yeah. Can you give us any sneak peeks? Can you give us any inside scoop um, on what, what it's going to be like? Well, the, the theme, the theme of, the, of my conference is Breaking Barriers. You know, that could be anything, you know, it could be language barrier, cultural barriers, gender barriers, Uh, it could be mostly self-imposed barriers, things that you think you cannot do and not able to do, and you can actually do it. You know, sometimes in life, you just need somebody else to give a little push, take little obstacles away for you, for you to go further. And so that's what the, you know, sort of like the... um, uh, the gist of yeah. what the conference is about. Oh, I love is it. Is that breaking barriers uh, so that uh, you can go to the next level. There are plenty of you know good surgeons uh, in the world. They don't speak English that well, but we can still learn from them. Absolutely. So, and then sometimes we force them to speak in English, which is not their best language to, that they feel comfortable with. And so some of the educational value is lost as a result of language barrier. Then we want to break that. Yeah, so that kind of like the general theme is breaking barriers. Um, and, you know, you could just, it's many, there are many different ways to look at it, but it's what we plan to do. It's elevating everybody. It's true. No matter where you're at in your career, elevating everybody up. That's, I think that's right, an awesome exactly. Thing. I mean, you, I mean, I'm sure that, Things that you are learning, since you know things you want to get better, things you want to do, there are always barriers that that that's in your way, and you have to figure out a way to overcome the barriers. Right. Having a sponsor to help take those barriers away and, and lift you up, I love it. It's great. Right. So that's basically what we try to do. Can we announce the keynote or no? My favorite, one of my favorite people. Yeah, I think we have to wait. <laughs> At the edge of our seats. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be very relevant to what we do. Uh, it's coming from uh, another surgeon. Uh, so that's all I can tell you. I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee, for spending your evening with us. It's been an amazing conversation. You're such an inspiration, both in and out of the OR. I just really appreciate your time. All right. Thank you very much, Kara. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye. We'll be right back after this message. 
Today's episode is brought to you by MedJobNetwork.com. Ready to start your career in your dream location? Looking to expand your skills in a dynamic new practice setting? Start your search today at MedJobNetwork.com. MedJobNetwork.com sorts thousands of physician job opportunities in every specialty and all 50 states. Visit us once, create a profile, then let our technology bring the right jobs to you. There's no need to search again and again. MedJobNetwork.com does all the work for you. It's time to take that next step. There's a great new career opportunity waiting for you at MedJobNetwork.com. In this portion of our podcast, we turn to advocacy and continue our conversation with Dr. Megan Evans, women's health advocate and assistant professor of OBGYN at Tufts University School of Medicine. We've heard about ACOG's overall efforts in advocating on behalf of patients. And in this episode, we'll learn how you yourself can become more involved in patient advocacy. Okay, so I'm pumped. I'm excited. I want to get involved. So for people who don't even know where to start with this, right? So let's say, let's start with busy clinicians who don't maybe have a lot of time to get involved, but want to do something to help with these types of bills. Where do you recommend that we start to um, help push the things that we think are important forward? There are a lot of different ways to get involved. And there's some that are very time consuming and some that are very easy. So I think one easy way to start understanding or knowing what's happening at the legislative level is to sign up for ACOG's government affairs email. So you can go to ACOG and you can sign up for them and you'll get an email oftentimes every other week about legislative issues that are happening for our field. Some of the subspecialties have similar ways to get involved or at least be aware of what's happening on the legislative level. I know people sometimes are nervous about joining social media, but I think I think Twitter can be a powerful platform, and you don't have to jump right in and start tweeting, but maybe to follow people, and you get pretty rapid information, especially what's happening um, for women's health, and you can follow ACOG Action, you can follow, I know you're active on Twitter, um, and that is a great way just to know what's happening. The other options are getting involved in your local medical society. So whether that's your ACOG chapter or it's your uh, medical society in your state because they are very active in um, legislative issues that are happening at the state level. And I will say that some of the most progressive and some of the most egregious legislation happens at the state level. And I think that oftentimes we're so focused at the federal side, it's really important that we know what's happening in our own backyard. They're always looking for people to come testify, to meet with their representatives at their state house. Um, And when physicians go to the state house and they meet with their representatives or they testify, it's very powerful because not only are we experts, but they know that we have stopped what we're doing for the day and we have gone to make this testimony or speak with this legislature because we know how important this bill is, either helping our field and our patients or um, we're in opposition for a variety of reasons that we need to let them know about. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of us think about flying to the Hill, right? Going to D.C. and advocating there, but looking locally actually is really important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you recommend that we get involved even locally? Like what, can we just go to our our state's website or how do we even know what bills and when and all that is, is unfolding? 
Yeah, some states have our own lobbyists. So we in Massachusetts, we have a lobbyist that we work with. Some states don't. And there is usually someone in their chapter that their job is the legislative component. And so you can contact your state representative at ACOG and find out who the best person to contact is about legislative issues. There are um, many states and many ACOG sections have legislative committees that you could get involved with. And, and that's really a time to talk about what bills are coming up that we need to pay attention to. What are we supportive of? What are we in opposition to? And who do we need to schedule a meeting with so that they understand you know, why we feel the way we do? I love this. Okay, so, so those those are some really easy ways to get involved. Like, are there like fellowships in advocacy, or are there any like long term internships in, in in advocacy? What does that look like? So there's the Gellhouse Fellowship and the McCain Fellowship. So the Gellhouse Fellowship is for residents, typically in their third year. They go to Washington D.C. for two to four weeks, and they become an extension of the government affairs office, and often go to the Hill to. Um, legislate for the um, a key topic that's going on right now. The McCain Fellowship is for fellows uh, of ACOG, so people who are further into their practice, out of residency, and oftentimes people go for two weeks to experience that advocacy component of ACOG. Awesome. All right, is there anything else that we want you want to talk about? I mean, I think it's important for people to recognize that advocacy really happens every day and most people are probably doing it. You're advocating for your patient in the exam room. You're advocating for your field and hospital committees. You're potentially advocating for your family and community. So I think it's so important that we incorporate advocacy every day and that as physicians, we really use our voice because it's so incredibly powerful and we can truly make a difference in our patients' lives and for our field of OBGYN. You are truly inspiring. And I feel like if we incorporated more advocacy, we'd have less burnout, right? I feel like it's so rewarding. I do too. I, I mean, advocacy for me is part of my wellness, and it's so important for me to incorporate that. I attempt to do it daily. It's sometimes hard depending on the day. But um, yeah, I think that making a difference beyond the exam room for our patients is so rewarding. And absolutely, I think you're right. I think it does help um, combat some of the burnout that we experience as physicians. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Evans. It's been a pleasure to learn about your passion and your niche. And I really applaud all of your efforts. And I'm hoping that we all can get a little bit more involved at our local level and maybe the national level in the future with your help. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. And that's all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next episode for more expert insights and perspectives. From all of us at MD Edge and the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening.